Chapter 10 of The Gargoyle by Gray Lespina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 10 Shut Out. Luke carried his precious burden directly to Alden, who, after she had carefully brought Sybil back to consciousness, sat beside her, listening to the artist's recital of that strange possession by some unknown entity of the girl's unconscious body. Sybil herself, enlightened now by her old nurse and by her lover as to her cousin's nefarious designs upon her, lay with wide violet eyes upon Luke's face, her expression that of one who refuses to believe what appears incredible to intelligence. "'I shall see Guy Fane tomorrow,' declared Luke firmly. "'I intend to make a formal demand for Sybil's hand, and as he has already given me his permission to marry her, I don't see how he can refuse to let me take her away, especially—' if we go right down into town and get a license, and hunt up a minister immediately. Alden shook her head, a bitter smile curling her kindly mouth. "'Don't you think Cousin Guy will let us go?' demanded Sybil. "'Why, Alden, I'll be of age in another ten days, and then he must let me go. He's told me as much himself, often.' "'There's something mysterious about it all, my lamb, but I feel sure he will let none of us go until he has carried out his own plans.' "'Then I shall appeal to Madame Fane. She is a woman with a woman's heart,' began Luke, when Alden interrupted him. First of all, she is Guy Fane's mother, and she owes him a terrible debt, too horrible for me to put into words,' the older woman said unwillingly. "'She will think first of her son's plans, Mr. Porter. The rest of us are pawns, to be moved by him as he pleases.' "'He makes a mistake, I'm afraid,' Luke murmured. "'Perhaps Mr. Benny can suggest something?' Sybil offered. "'He's a magician, isn't he?' Luke couldn't help smiling at Sybil's ingenuous conclusion. "'For some reason your cousin has terrified Cagliostro Moderno almost into spasms,' he told the girl. "'But for all that he's promised to do what he can in his own way,' he amended. "'But his own way may be the best way,' the girl declared. "'Mr. Porter,' "'I think my lamb ought to get a little sleep while she can,' Alden suggested darkly. "'Do you mind?' "'Luke, don't go away,' begged Sybil, violet eyes suddenly wide with fright. "'Oh, Alden, don't send him away. Let him sleep on the chaise lounge in my boudoir. Then he'll be here if, if anything should happen.' Luke and the older woman exchanged glances. "'Perhaps that isn't such a bad idea, Mr. Porter.' conceded Alden. But I'd hate to have Mr. Fane know. There can be no possible harm, Luke decided. Certainly the man who is as devoted to Sybil's interests as her future husband must be can watch over her welfare, especially after such an experience as she has had tonight, he finished grimly. Sybil, my darling, sleep. Alden and I will both be here to see that no harm comes to you. Sybil pouted her crimson lips and Luke bent, stirred to the depths by her innocent trustfulness, and very tenderly gave her their first kiss. Luke's resolve to see Guy Fane early that next day was forestalled by the master himself, in a fashion that made the artist resentful, as it put him in the wrong at once. Mason brought the message, and he brought it to Luke before the young artist had left Sybil's boudoir. The majordomo wore a certain knowing air for which Luke would have liked to call him to account 
except that it was too vague an expression to base such a proceeding upon. Mr. Fane asked me to inquire if you didn't think it would be well for you to see him at once under the circumstances, the man said. Luke was furious, but there was, after all, nothing upon which he could put his finger. Controlling himself as best he could, he answered shortly. Tell your master that after last night's occurrences, I feel I have a right to make certain demands of him, and I am only too happy to make them immediately. Ten minutes afterward, he walked into the open door of Guy Fane's study. His mouth set in a grim line as he advanced toward the protecting screen at the farther end of the room. Be seated, Mr. Porter. Pray do not come any farther. As you have reason to learn, I am protected. Luke paused involuntarily. He remembered that giant hand which had stopped his progress the night before. That's better, Mr. Porter. Now, if you will be seated, we can get down to business more comfortably. I presume you wish to inquire with what I must consider characteristic curiosity, my dear sir, into my private affairs. I have come to tell you that I wish to take Sybil away from this, this devil's den, the artist jerked out furiously. Ah, how thoughtful of you, dear Mr. Porter. And so you have come to this unwarranted conclusion? Unwarranted, snapped Luke. When only by a hair's breadth did that poor girl escape your knife last night? A tense pause succeeded upon his words. When Guy Fane spoke now, it was in measured accents. I begin to understand. You managed to gain access to the chapel, then? The troubled note left his voice, and he continued with his wanted, imperturbable suavity. You took the liberty of going where you had no business to enter, and then you jumped to silly conclusions because you imagined, and the voice grew icy with disdain. I presume that I was about to take the life of my cousin? A girl who has been brought up under my own eyes and nurtured as tenderly? Why, my dear Mr. Porter, I believe you have the instincts of a budding occultist yourself. I must see to it that you are present at my next experiment. The voice continued with amusing lightness, and that hint of double meaning that made Luke writhe. If there are any further experiments, you may be sure I shall be present, the artist declared. But I do not think there will be any more. At least not with my wife as the subject of them. Your wife? There was a sudden note of alarm in the master's voice that did not escape Luke's notice. Perhaps I should have said my promised wife, he amended. Oh. The exclamation escaped the master's lips in a gust of breathy relief. And then, as if to cover his momentary lack of restraint, Guy continued smoothly. You are certainly what is called in vulgar vernacular a quick worker, Mr. Porter. So Sybil is in love with you and you with her so quickly. Admiration in the voice. Again, Luke writhed. Sybil wishes to go with me and her maid today, Luke asserted. Why such haste, dear Mr. Porter? Soothed Guy Fane. He laughed softly. But there, young love is always impetuous, isn't it? Have you realized that there must be a license, and that I certainly will not permit my charge to go from here until I see her properly married to you by a regularly ordained clergyman? Are you insinuating, my dear Mr. Porter, 
You have acted so like a child that I feel I must take the proper steps to safeguard my innocent cousin. You are afraid that the ceremony, so sadly interrupted by the misunderstanding with little Cagliostro, was aimed at my cousin's life. No, Mr. Porter, she must live. Live, do you understand? Only a life. But there, you would never understand. I presume you are in a hurry now to rescue the fair lady and make your escape from the roof that has been her safe shelter from childhood, he pursued plaintively. So be it, Mr. Porter. Will this afternoon suit your plans? Luke's face altered in spite of himself at this unexpected acquiescence. Guy Fane laughed again. You can leave all the details to me, impetuous lover. I shall send a couple of servants to impersonate you two at the License Bureau, so that you won't have to go down into town until you leave here for good. I shall have a clergyman sent for, if you don't like him, negligently with an undertone of mild amusement. You can get married again after you leave here. We will have a wedding supper and tickets ready for the 10 p.m. New York train. If this suits your plans... Bewildered to the last degree, Luke managed to get out. I hope I have misjudged you, but... But what did you intend to do with that knife? My mother and that foolish magician have both demanded explanations on this point, Guy said warily. Nothing I tell them seems clear to their blinded imaginations, which must have run away with them. I can use the girl living. Of what use would she be dead? I had but started a ceremonial, and he interrupted himself to cry with enthusiasm. Ah, oh, my dear Mr. Porter, one time you shall see such a ceremonial as I doubt has ever been carried through in its entirety before in the history of the world. You shall be there, I promise you. Something sinister troubled the artist vaguely, but he dared not let his imagination start working on the master's veiled insinuations. He told himself that by evening he and Sybil would be well out of the purlieus of that strange castle. "'Well, now that we've settled everything,' proceeded Guy Fane gaily, "'suppose you tell Sybil that you have my permission, and that tonight she will see Fanewald Castle for the last time. Unless you are so kind as to bring her back to visit a lonely and afflicted man some day. "'No, do not thank me, Mr. Porter.' I am still a little hurt at your unfounded suspicions of me and my motives. You shall know more of me before another twenty-four hours, he promised. And now, if you will excuse me. Luke took the hint and went out, the door shutting behind him, apparently of its own volition. He lost no time in telling Sybil of Guy's ready capitulation. Alden's forehead wrinkled more than ever as she listened. I don't know why Sybil's marriage to you should fit in with his plans she said in a troubled voice. And I feel positive that he does not intend to have her leave Fainwald tonight as your wife. Don't be so pessimistic, Alden, dear, begged Sybil prettily. Come and help me pack. If we're going away tonight, and she turned to Luke gaily, we must get everything ready. There'll be lots to do. Come, Alden. Alden did not follow the girl immediately. She stood looking at Luke irresolutely. At last, she said, Mr. Porter, if you find it difficult to get away from here with Sybil, don't bother about me. To them, I am nothing but a servant who loves her. They won't do anything to me. You can see about me later on. Depend upon it, that if I get Sybil safely away from here, my next thought will be for you, Luke said determinedly. 
and now I must pack my bags and painting materials. It was quite evident to Luke that there was something going on in the place later that afternoon. Alden whispered to him that all the servants had been sent away. She was white with apprehension, but the artist thought it quite possible that Guy Fain had ordered a lot of marketing done for the wedding supper, and that the castle people had been sent to do these many errands. Going back to his room, he almost collided with Cagliostro Moderno, who was hastening down the corridor. "'Hello, Benny. What are you doing now?' the artist demanded. "'I'm going with Madame Fane to town on an errand,' the little occultist replied. He lowered his voice. "'Once I get there, I'll get in touch with the authorities, and see that some of the police are sent out here to get you and Miss Fane out.' That devil tried to explain his stunt with the knife, but I don't trust him. He is sheer fiend. "'Did you tell him that?' "'I'm not the fool you think I am, Mr. Porter.' returned the little man with dignity. I let him think I believed all he said, with the result that I am now getting the chance to go to town. What is he sending you for? persisted Luke. With an apprehensive glance up and down the corridor, the occultist whispered, He sent a maid and one of the men to impersonate you and Miss Fane to get a license. And I'm supposed to take the license, and then get a minister. Madame Fane is waiting for me, bitterly. But I shall evade her if I can even if I have to make a scene. Don't make a scene, advised Luke thoughtfully. Get the clergyman, and when he is here, we'll make him see how the situation is, and that will tie Guy Fane's hands. Besides, we may need you, never can tell. I'll do my best, promised Herbert Benny, with dignity, pulling his black mantle about him to conceal his insignificant features. Luke smote him mightily on the shoulders. Go to it, old man, he said heartily. The minutes fled, became hours. Darkness was falling now, but Herbert Benny did not return. Moreover, instead of the stir of festive preparations, a heavy and oppressive stillness brooded over the castle. "'Come out on the roof garden,' Sybil half whispered, the spell of the waiting upon her also. "'I think I'd feel better out in the air.' The three went out, just in time to see another part of the mysterious drama played before their eyes. There was the sound of the drawbridge lowering, and simultaneously the galloping of horses' hoofs. Then a carriage swung into sight, dimly outlined by the carriage lights. It whirled to the draw, and stopped. A woman. "'Madam Fane!' cried Alden, sprang out and ran across the draw. The bridge creaked, rose in the air. The driver of the carriage whipped his horses around and back in the direction in which he had come. And as the three stared with straining eyes, the sound of someone shouting fell upon their ears. "'Help!' cried a masculine voice several times, as little figure came stumbling and sobbing up the road only to be brought to a short stop by the sluggish water of the impassable moat. "'Who is it?' shouted Luke through cupped hands, but he knew only too well who it was. "'It's me, Benny!' wailed the voice, admission of failure, in the very use of that hated commonplace name. "'It's me! They've shut me out! They've shut me out!' Luke recovered from his amazement and wonderment after a moment's astonished exchange of glances with Alden, whose wrinkled face held a deep significance which he did not like. "'How did it happen?' he shouted back, abandoning caution, convinced now that matters were not as they should be. "'Minister wasn't at home!' wailed the occultist from below. "'Madame Vane left word that we'd go there for the ceremony tomorrow. I tried to leave the carriage, but the driver managed to be in my way, and it's cold out and there weren't many people around, and... To make a long story short, Luke told the two women dryly, 
our little friend didn't succeed in getting word to anyone of our plight, and now he's been shut outside so that he can't help us. Hey, Betty, can't you tramp it back to the town? You might bring help that way. In the growing darkness, the occultist was shaking his head in furious negation. No, 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 he called up with more caution. I must get inside at once. It would take me hours to get back. I'm no walker. And that magic must be fought with magic. The only way you can get in, Mr. Betty, is by swimming across the moat, began Alden. What? almost screamed the occultist. Swim among those water snakes and other things? Woman, do you think I'm crazy? Not crazy, coldly called down Alden. Just a wretched coward, if you will have the truth, Mr. Benny. She retired from the parapet scornfully, but Luke saw that her face was melancholy with apprehension. What made you get out of the carriage? inquired Luke. She dropped her handkerchief outside and asked me to get it for her, confessed the Duke magician mournfully. I understand. And the driver whipped up his horses and they left you in the road twelve miles out of town? A fine idiot you've shown yourself to be. Oh, Lord, don't I know it now? What am I going to do? Alden came back to the parapet and bent over, speaking with cautiously lowered voice. You go to the garage, and when it's dark, bring Mr. Porter's car around. Can you drive? All right. Have it near the draw, and then go back to the garage. My room is opposite there, and I may think up some plan to get you into the castle if I know you will be waiting. Whatever you say, agreed the little man submissively. But get in I must, he added determinedly. For I am the only one of us who knows how to handle supernatural forces, mysteriously. Luke felt like saying fiddlesticks, but in grave silence watched the occultist walk off down the side of the moat and disappear into the night. End of chapter 10